episode 103 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is John Waters. I'm a former Air Force fighter pilot and currently fly for an airline. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today, I have a very, very highly requested episode with Instagram account RainWaters27, also known as John RainWaters. We find out why John decided to join the military, his progression in the military, and how he was able to make the ranks and get his fighter pilot rating and go just do some really, really cool stuff. And then we find out how he decided to make the transition transition from military to civilian, which is just a completely different world and how I was able to get out of the military mindset and back into the civilian mindset. Aviation, if you'd like today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. We just crossed 500 reviews. I promised five shirts for five people with 500 reviews. So I'll be choosing those in the next couple of weeks. I'm still waiting for the shirts to get out of quarantine. So as soon as that is done, I will be choosing those shirts. Also, the hats have been mailed. We have a couple left. So if you're interested, go to shoppilotthepilot.com and shout out to our Patreon of the week, Brad Grote or Grote. I probably pronounced that wrong. Sorry, Brad, but thank you so much for being a Patreon of the week. I really appreciate your support. Check out patreon.com slash pilot the pilot if you are wanting to support the podcast. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. Without any further ado, here's John Rain Waters. John, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here especially with all this quarantine stuff. I know, right? It's like, what else do we have to do? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing all the quarantine stuff? I noticed that you said that you, you fly for an airline and we don't have to be specific about what that airline is, but how, is the, how are things going? Dude, it's been, I mean, I think everyone, this is just a wild time. I would, for me, it's pretty busy. I'm going to start a 14 day trip flying literally all the way around the world uh, in the triple seven. It is uh, unprecedented times, but uh, surviving. I would say I'm sur- surviving. I think that's all we can do is just try to survive in uh, in our own in in our own way. You know, it's uh, like you said, it's interesting times, and we don't know how to traverse these times. But you just got to do what you got to do to get through. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the hand we've been dealt, and I know there are a lot of people that are out there hurting and struggling to not only stay healthy, but the economic impact of this is incredibly detrimental. So, like one of those things, it's, it's really crappy, but we just got to deal with it and push through it and, you know, stick together. Yeah. And on top of the, the health, the economic impact, also the mental part. And I think that's important for people that, that have the ability to create content or want to create content to try to be like normal on schedule. And it's been hard for me because it's hard to like post pictures when people are dying or people are getting sick and all this and stuff, but it's important that people can have some kind of getaway. And I think it's important for people to hear other stories and still be inspired to get into aviation. That's why I'm really excited to have you on and have your story be shared because you have a good following. You have, you have a pretty cool story and I'm looking forward to sharing it right now. Yeah, I appreciate it. And it's funny you mentioned that, like everything we're doing here is trivial. I think you and I would agree in the big scheme of things. And one of the things I've been trying to do is put out more content for my podcast and things like that. It's just like a small way of like, hopefully helping someone out with passing the time or just getting through this situation, you know? Absolutely. And yeah, that's, I think that's the best thing you can possibly do. And I want to go ahead and jump in and talk a little bit about you. I want to start at the beginning. What was the initial kind of reason you got into aviation and why did you even want to be a pilot in the first place? 
Yeah. So I grew up in an aviation community just south of Atlanta. I mean, everyone was a Delta pilot, Former, a lot of former Air Force and Navy guys. My family had no uh, tie to the aviation community, but my dad kind of saw like, hey, you know what? That's probably a pretty good career path. And I would say gently nudge me that way. I had a friend who took me in a Piper Cub when I was a teenager, like on a, it was a beautiful like spring day, like 70 degrees, door open, going flying around. And I think that had like the bug. Um, and then I had my first flight, flight lesson on September 10th, 2001. So yeah, it's like the next day, obviously just, you know, changed the shape of our world. And that was a huge catalyst for me to want to go pursue a career in the military. And since I loved aviation, you know, it was like killing two birds with one stone. It was the perfect fit for me. So talk a little bit. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. So you started, you had your first flight training lesson a day before 9-11. So there's like so many highs going right there. You're so excited. You know, you're, you're pretty much thinking probably, I'm guessing civilian, maybe military is not even a thought in your mind right now. And you're just excited. And then all of a sudden the next day, maybe you're getting ready to go to the airport. Maybe you're just turning on the, the TV for some coffee and drinking, eating some breakfast and you see the towers go down. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the two different mindsets that was going through your mind and maybe the switch that led you down the military route? Yeah, so the, I mean, I remember that day actually pretty vividly on September 11th, obviously, I think everyone knows where they are or where they were, where they were and what they were doing. Um, but I remember I was in school after school that day. I drove out to the airport and it's a small, small airport, but there are police cars sitting on the end of the runways. So no one could take off or land. And again, this is not like a big airport. So it was kind of like, it was a really surreal scene, like out of a movie. Um, and obviously just filled with emotions. At first, I, at that point, I knew. I wanted to go pursue a career uh, in aviation. It definitely solidified the fact that I wanted to go do it in the military. The thing I struggled with at that moment, I think like a lot of people was like, Hey, I want to go get the people who did this. So they never go do it again. And I actually considered like, Hey, you know, right out of college or right out of high school, I'm going to go enlist so I can get into the fight. Cause going into ROTC or the Air Force Academy, that's just going to delay me another four years before I can even potentially go affect, you know, this global war on terrorism. So, um, it was definitely, you know, I had some obviously a cooling down period where I just really like honed in like, Hey, the big picture here is I want to go serve my country. I want to do it being a pilot if I'm allowed to go do that. And so I really just put the nose to the grind and did everything I could to set myself up to be able to get a pilot slot in the air force and go on and be a fighter pilot. How old were you when September 11th had happened? I was 17. Okay. So you had a, a good, another year in high school. Yeah. Okay. What was, you said you were kind of like making sure you're setting yourself up. What did you do to prepare yourself for, uh, for the air force and to get that pilot slot? Well, you know, I get a lot of people ask me like, Hey, how do you be a pilot in the air force? Or how do you do this? And you know, really it's, it's a long road. I think for most of like, and with a private pilot already, or do they not really care about that? It, it definitely goes into a portion of the score. And now again, I'm going to date myself, but pick some score and I could not tell you what it stands for, but it is one thing that is compiled like GPA, a couple different aptitude tests that you'll go through and then your flight hours. And in the end, you know, they add them all together and you're going to have a score of 85% or whatever it might be. And that's compared against everyone in the nation who's applying for a pilot slot in the Air Force. And, you know, they'll go down the list. Hey, we have a thousand pilot slots, right? And then number 1,001 might be, you know, the cutoff might be at 83% or whatever it might be. So flying definitely is applicable to it. But there is like a threshold, like having 10 flight hours, 
is again, these are arbitrary numbers, is worth 90% of having your pilot's your private pilot's license. So there are guys who show up and have no flight experience and get pilot slots. Like it is not a deal breaker at all because the Air Force is going to train you. And the Air Force, if they award you a pilot slot, you're actually going to go through a flight program or prior to going to pilot training. And it changes year to year. Like when I went through, even though I had my private pilot's license, everyone prior to going to pilot training had to go fly a DA-20 for about, I want to say it was like 15 hours. And it was like a mini pilot training. And they were weeding people out of that program because they were going to save money in a DA-20 versus a T-62. Now I think they're sending people to like local flight schools to get their private pilot's license. It's cyclical and it swings back and forth, but not having any flight time is not a deal breaker. It definitely helps your PIXM score going into it. But again, that can be overcome with a lot of other things. What do you think was the, what was the main difference between say civilian training and military training, especially for like, let's just focus on the initial kind of airman knowledge. Was it more intense? Was it pretty much the same or was it, uh, was it a little bit easier? Which one, uh, which one would you say? So it's probably apples and oranges and I can't speak, you know, entirely fairly like on the civilian side of the house, never having gone through maybe like a official accredited university type program. But I will say, you know, here's a pilot training experience is you're going to show up um, for one year, you're going to be in a class of about 30 other students. You're going to spend six weeks in academics and that's going to run, you know, anywhere from like six to 12 hours a day for six weeks. And you're going to be doing a lot of other things in there, like learning egress training, survival equipment, things like that. And then you're going to move on to the flight line and the flight line, like your day might start at five o'clock in the morning and finish at 5 p.m. It might start at 10 a.m. and finish at 10 p.m. But on average, it's like 10 or 12 hour days. And it is like drinking from a fire hose. Like you're like initially starting out like the first couple of weeks, like, yeah, everyone's learning how to like fly a T6 and do some aerobatics. But once you get through like the first couple flights, now you're starting to get academics on instruments. You're starting to get academics on formation. And those are opting you for different rides. So you have to be ready for like five different rides at any time from like instrument, doing like aerobatics, doing formation. So it, it's a pretty busy year. I really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun. There were long days. Uh, and again, it's like a year. So it's like the marathon, you know, where it's not a sprint, just pacing yourself and like grinding it out. So by far, pilot training was much more difficult than just getting my private pilot's license. But again, it's apples and oranges. Absolutely. And I'm sure you get used to that system once you're in it for a little bit of time. So that like, that's what you know. So you might go to the civilian, say if you went to to the civilian training, you saw you're like, what the heck? How do you learn? This sounds impossible. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, they just they fire the fire hose at you and you just have to drink from it. So, so you, you go from a, a diamond, a very, very tiny, small, not really powerful airplane to a T6, right? Yep. How, how do you even like comprehend the, the, the difference in airplane and uh, high performance and just capability when you go into that. Is that pretty intimidating making that switch? Yeah. And like, as I go back, like think about it, you know, you do get it. Obviously you get a few simulators before you actually hit the flight line. So you have a rough idea of, you know, pitch and power settings, how to fly it, how it's going to maneuver. It's obviously not a full motion simulator, but you have an idea. But I think too, the, like the overwhelming part for most people, because I also taught in the T6 it's like sensory overload, right? 
the first time you're hopping in there, like one, it's probably a hot day in Mississippi, sweltering heat. You have no idea like where you're like just walking out to the plane because there's 130 planes on the ramp, like where you're going, props are spinning, there's jet noise. Um, and now you're going to like hop in this plane, put this mask on, breathe, you know, breathing oxygen. It's hard to hear, you know, like there's all these little things that the simulator can't replicate that now you have to deal with. And it's like your first ride. Um, <laughs> and so, you still have to fly the airplane. <laughs> right. You know, and you got some guy in the back seat who's just sarcastic. And we, you know, we always joke like fear, sarcasm and ridicule was like the way to teach. I think it's changing some, but you know, like <laughs> that, that's how I learned. And actually I was like the most responsive to is like, Hey, you're doing a really good job. And like, clearly, you know, you're not. And it's just like full on sarcasm from the backseat. Um, but it's being yelled at, right? Yeah, exactly. It is. So, but it's completely different than the DA 20, you know I mean? Again, it's like, Hey, here's like your moped and then here's the Ferrari. Yeah. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Um, what, uh, I heard that plane is hard to land. Is that true? The T6, it's a very challenging airplane to land. I don't know. Uh, maybe like, you know, the original T6 is the, I think the, the, the Texan two is a really easy plane to fly and it's really forgiving. Uh, granted, like now that information for uh, my mind is like dated like eight or nine years. And then going on like the T38, I would say is a really difficult plane to land or you can kill yourself really quickly in that. And the, the F-16 is an easy plane to land. I'd say it's tough to land well because it just wants to keep flying. So it's a, a good problem to have. And sometimes it wants to keep flying until it's time to land, right? Right, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> like, no, 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 come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, so, all right. So T-6, you are um, kind of learning everything. Like it's like a, setting you up for a fighter jet, correct? Yeah, and, and not just a fighter, but any plane that we fly in the Air Force inventory and again, the program has changed significantly over the past couple of years because we're trying to streamline to be more efficient. I.e., you know, if you're going to go fly a tanker, then you probably don't need to do a bunch of formation work in the T6. But if you're going to go into a fighter, yeah, like we can do low cost flying in the T6, comparatively speaking, to the T38, and then to the subsequent fighter that that student's going to go on to. Um, but again, it's geared. For the most part, there's no air to ground threat. Helos, I think, got shot at a bunch. You know, I mean, they're just scud running down there. There are probably instances where King Airs got shot at. Um, I'm not like fully aware of it, but again, it's definitely one of those things that happens, right? When I was in F-16 and we're in Iraq and Syria, we're having guys getting shot at. So undoubtedly, everyone is getting shot at there. So, um, and it's just kind of part of it. And then again, it's nice to be able to pull nine Gs and to you know dispense flares and chaff and go fast and get out of the way, you know, versus flying around in a King Air, putzing around with. We did have flares in the King Air. That was about it. Yeah. Oh, hit the flare button. We. <laughs> yeah. Which would actually like scare you to death because the flare button goes right underneath the cockpit and you wouldn't be oh, expecting really? it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was, uh, so you're doing the, you're flying the King Airs over there. How long were you actually over there flying King Airs? What was the length of time? I just, uh, it was right under seven months uh, for what, how long I was over there. And then you get called back and you are uh, immediately going to train in the F-16 or did you go back to training in the T-6 and then go to the F-16? So I, I came back to the T-6 for about six months. So I did like an in-house recall in the T-6, which was like five or six rides uh, with more or less my buddies just knocking off the rust of the T-6. I taught in the T-6 again for, again, about that, that six month period. 
and then transition to the T38 again. So we do introduction to fighter fundamentals. And that is a different T38 program where they just kind of teach you like basic fighter maneuvering. You do some like surface attack, basically to like learn the reps, the lingo, and the basic concepts of how to do some of these tactical applications of what you'll be doing in the F-15, the F-16, whatever it might be. So it's a six to eight week program in the, in the T-38 again for IFF. And then you move on. So in that case, I moved on to the F-16. What was, uh, what was coming back flying a T-6 like? Was it like getting training wheels back on and you knocked them off in a couple of flights? Or was it like, whoa, okay, we don't, we're not in the King Air anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think- like? I think it's just like, once you get past like the departure and then you get into the airspace, like, okay, I got this again. But it's like, at first, like, oh, I'm having to think just a little bit faster than I was in the King Air. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the King Air is a quick plane, but I'm guessing the T-6 can fly circles around it. Yeah, the T-6 is a little bit faster. And obviously every plane I went on from there is just a little bit faster. So it's just adjusting the way you're doing things at just a little bit quicker of a clip. At that time, did you know you were already in the F-16 program or was it kind of still up in the air? I actually, so I came back from my King Air deployment and I was on R&R. So like you get two weeks of leave or vacation when you come back. And uh, my commander called me while I was on leave to let me know that I was going to the F-16. He messed with me a little bit, making me think I was going to go fly a B-52. Um, but then I knew coming back from that R&R, hey, I got six more months in the T-6 and I'm going on to... The, the F-16 effort. So it's kind of nice knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. You're like, finally. <laughs> yeah. I can do it. Freedom. That's so cool. When did you, so you, six months in the T-6, you start the F-16, obviously you said you did the T-38 too. You're in the F-16. Was this the most intense training you've ever done or was it was everything you've done kind of helped build up to this moment and it was still kind of the same training, maybe just more complex information? So yeah, by that point, I had probably been through like 10 or like uh, 10 to 15 different Air Force training programs. And the one nice thing is once you kind of figure out what the rhythm is, then it's easier to go through each subsequent program, at least in my mind. Like there's a syllabus. So you know, hey, these are the requirements. This is what I have to do. Like I have to demonstrate proficiency in this event. I have to demonstrate a familiarization. You know, for instance, I just have to like show up and breathe. Um, and so once you figure out what that syllabus looks like, what that program looks like, it's a lot easier, uh, I think. Now that said, like the F-16, obviously it faster, there's a lot more information, you're working radar, you're, there's a myriad of weapons and tactics that go into it. So it is definitely a lot of work that goes into it. And it is by far the most work that I had to do at that point. But getting there is like knowing, hey, again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So if I just chip away at this and know, hey, what's the nearest alligator to the boat and go after that, then I'll probably have success. And two, I think, which is applicable to everything is like, have a good attitude, right? Like, you know, just because I came from, you know, when I showed up in the F-16, I probably had about 1500 hours in military aircraft, but I had never flown an F-16, right? So not being cocky or thinking I have this figured out, having a good attitude, being humble, and receptive to what the instructors are saying is key because if you act like, Oh, I know, I know all. And I definitely saw it with some guys in pilot training who would show up with two or 3000 hours. Some would do great and others would do terrible. And the guys who did terrible, it was purely based on the fact that 
they just thought they knew everything and like, oh, is, this is the standard line. Well, that's not how we used to do it in XYZ. You know, like, dude, we're not at XYZ anymore. That's so funny because that carries on to everything. I'm sure you've seen it with it in the airline world. It's like, well, you're, you're training to fly a new airplane. You're like, well, we didn't do this in the 777 or we didn't do yeah. this in the F-16. It's like, well, bro, you're not in that airplane anymore. So yep. you just need to wipe everything out and focus on what we're doing right now. Yeah. Let That's it go. That's so funny, man. Yeah. <laughs> The, the egos and pilots is amazing, especially in that part. It's like, well, I know best. I don't think well, that's not the best way to do it. It's like, well, we've been doing this for 20 years, so this is the best way. Yeah. yeah welcome to the team. Like your input yeah. is valued. Just leave it over there in the trash. When we were doing my uh, type rating for the latitude, uh, we had a, a jar where you had put a dollar in every single time you mentioned your old airplane. Any Anything you say, <laughs> like even if you just were telling a story, it's like you had to put a dollar in. And at the end of our training, that jar went to the teacher for them to go like get lunch or like gift cards and stuff like that. So it was, it was pretty fun. That, that's awesome. Is that funny? Because I my roommate, my crash pad, I think his sim partner going through, he actually, he's like, dude, we are not at your other airline. Like you are here now. Embrace it. Stop mentioning it, you know? But it was like every other sentence was like, well, we used to do this and that. And you're like, nah, you're not you're winning like, any, you're not winning anyone over with this. No. You're like, no one cares, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares what you did at this airline. You're here. Stop. Yep. <laughs> no one likes Shack. you. <laughs> Shack. <laughs> That's funny. What, um, so you're in F-16, you're done with the training. You're kind of just like thrown to the wolves now to go out and serve. How long did you, how many missions did you serve? Where did you go? Kind of what was, uh, what was your life like as an F-16 pilot? So F-16, uh, we have several different bases. I went to Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina and it's a block 50 unit. We are, we're the biggest combat operation or combat coded F-16 wing in the Air Force. And the mission there was suppression of enemy air defenses. So the wild weasel mission that hails out of Vietnam. So in theory, you go kick the door down in some country, get everyone to look at you with their surface air uh, missile radar systems. So that we can find them, they can shoot at us, and then we can shoot back and allow whoever is going in for whatever the mission is. If it's to go drop bombs from a B-1, if it's to go rescue someone, they're getting in unharassed and we're able to suppress, destroy all those radar sites and things like that. So it's a very complex mission and requires a lot of work, study, practice that goes into it. And then on that too, we do a bunch of other mission sets. So uh, defensive counter air, i.e. we're going to you know, protect this base or this point of sky to make sure that enemy aircraft can't get across, enemy bombers can't get across and bomb and target. That also requires a lot of, uh, lot of study, a lot of prep, a lot of, lot of practice that goes into it. So it's pretty busy. So different F-16s have kind of different mission sets that they focus on. But inherently, what we've been doing for the past 20 years is close air support. So I showed up to my first base you go through about six months of mission qualification training. So you know how to fly the F-16. When you show up to your first base, they're going to sh- really make sure you know how to employ the F-16, the tactics that go into it, and specifically the tactics that go along with the mission set that your base is tasked to. So I show up uh, in March of 2014. And June, a little group known ISIS kind of popped up on the map. So we were initially tasked to deploy in the fall. So we were kind of spinning up, but we were going to go deploy just as like a show of presence and kind of do training in the region. But by the time it came around, we were going to go fight ISIS and Operation Inherit Resolve. So the summer was kind of a crazy one where we're initially kind of focused on doing SEED, again, the suppression of enemy air defenses. 
doing that mission set and trained that. And then by late summer, it was full on swing to spin the squadron up to do close air support. So we walk out the door in like September um, and we deployed for six months to the Middle East, which was a really busy time. At that point when we came back, I think our unit had dropped the most precision guided weapons of any F-16 unit. And in each subsequent deployment of like the unit that replaced us and the unit replaced them, they dropped more and more. So it was a really busy time. Uh, and, and it was pretty, it definitely was interesting to be a fighter pilot going out there because you were getting to do, like, I got to do exactly what I, what I signed up that I wanted to go do. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it also sounds terrifying <laughs> the idea of being the one to go in there to kind of like, hey, where are they going to shoot at us first? Like, oh, all right, he shot at me. Now he shot at me. It's like, wait, they're shooting at me. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a different time, right? Because you're flying around Syria and we didn't really know what the Syrian regime was going to do. So there were some unique missions, right? Like the Syrians were obviously fighting ISIS or flying over their country or flying Iraq. Like, there's a lot of like geopolitical things that are going on and the Syrians are still flying planes around. So that's something new that was not a thing in Afghanistan, right? Like uh, Af Afghanis don't have an air force or I guess the government does, but like we're not, you know, fighting, fighting the government. So it was, it was a uh, unique time, I would say to just to leave, you know, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Understood. Absolutely. Um, What's it like being shot at? If you don't mind me asking, like what goes through your mind when like the first, say, say, say the first time you're going up, you're like doing your mission, you're all excited. And then all of a sudden you get shot at. It's like, what goes through your mind is I imagine it's probably like uh, you go through training and it's like losing an engine in a 172. You, you automatically go through the motions of what you were trained to do and how to get out of that situation and how to be successful. Is that what it's like when you get shot at? So, I mean, I can't say, I'm sure I was shot at with like small arms fire. Um, and I did a couple like shows of force. I remember specifically one day. So we're dropping in like at 500 feet and just 540 knots cruising across the ground, just trying to disrupt the enemy or say, Hey, like, this is not a good idea. Stop, stop doing bad things before you have to drop a bomb. Um, and me and it's actually my squadron commander. We were like the day it was just multiple shows of force throughout the day. Uh, and the last one that I did, um, the the joint terminal attack controller on the ground said, "Hey, you know, we're getting a lot of like chatter on the radio saying they have surface air uh, man pads, like surface air missile, like shoulder fire weapons that they can shoot at aircraft." So I heard that, and as I rolled in, I just punched out a, a string of flares in the event that they shot at me with an IR guided missile that hopefully it would bite off on the flare and not me. Uh, coming back, like Sworn Commander's like, hey, you know, like that was against the rules of engagement because, you know, we're below 5,000 feet. Yada, yada, yada. We weren't being threatened. He didn't hear that radio call. Well, like right after we left, a B1 got shot at from that point. So it's like, oh, maybe we should change the way we're doing things. And what's, what, what are we doing that warrants taking risk? Right. And so you have to judge that. Like, are guys dying on the ground? Yes. Then you're going to buy a lot of risk. No. Like, all right, maybe we can mitigate that risk by not doing that. And then like the one caveat is like, I actually had a good buddy and I wish we had saved like their, their HUD video, but they're flying around and his number two is like, Hey, one, I think, I think you're getting shot at. And like, you hear his radio response, like, Oh yeah, I am. I guess I should do something about that. Which is like completely counter to all the training we do. Like we're always training to getting shot at and doing defensive maneuvering and things like that. But that's it's like, yeah, it's, I guess I should do something about that. Huh? Yeah. This is not good. <laughs> I'll, I'll change what I'm doing now. So don't, yeah, let's don't get, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I, I appreciate your service, man. And just hearing these stories is just like crazy because just the differences in aviation and what you can do with airplanes is just crazy. It's like what we think is hard over here, just doing civilian training versus what like airline, not airline pilots, what fighter pilots or military pilots have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And I know it's just different. You get used to you're different over there. So you might look at us and be like, well, that just sounds terrible or I don't want to do that. So, but it's just, it's wild, man. And just the fact that it's just crazy and I respect it. And that's, that's really cool, man. I appreciate it. And then when someone tells me I have to hold somewhere, like, you know, Hold, what's that? Yeah, I, unable. I don't know how. Yeah, I'm going to show what? you some force real quick. Let's fly at 500 feet. <laughs> Where, where's your center? Where, where's your little building at? <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, that's actually really interesting because you have made the switch from the F-16 into kind of the commercial aviation world. Was that an intimidating idea to make that switch? Or is it, were you kind of uh, worried about leaving and coming into this world? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely the toughest decision I think that I've made. Um, but you know, there's, there's trade-offs with everything. I absolutely love my time in the F-16 and flying it, but you know, staying in the, in the active duty sort of like great ideas to how we could do this better, you know? So, um, I was just like an open book, have a good attitude and try to learn as much as I can about it because, um, you know, it was something that was completely new to me. And now, my previous experience is airmanship, right? So I can use that airmanship to help me fly the 777 and to not paint myself into a corner and things like that. But in the end, I, I now have flown you know, like 100 hours or so in the, in the 777. So I still don't have that much experience. So it's a lot to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a lot to learn. That's a big old airplane compared to what you're flying before too. Yeah, my last landing, I landed at... 536,000 pounds, I think is what I was weighing or no, sorry. I was 526,000 pounds is what I weighed on the the last landing. So it's a pretty, pretty heavy plane. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Just a, yeah. just a tiny little airplane up there in the air. <laughs> Compared to the 20,000 pounds I've been landing the F-16 at for the past two years. Yeah. My corporate jet, we land pretty, pretty light too. And our speeds are pretty slow. We land at like 95 knots. So it's a pretty slow <laughs> airplane. I'm sure your V speeds are pretty high. They are, you know, but it, like the triple seven is a really easy plane to land. Uh, it's definitely a lot easier to land than the simulator, but I was surprised by that. Like this is a plane that weighs a half a million pounds. Like this is not going to go well. Was there one subject that was the hardest for you in the triple seven or even just in the civilian world for you to kind of get you, wrap your mind around? The automation of it is definitely the biggest challenge for me. Um, understanding what the autopilot is doing and, you know, obviously what you're doing and manipulating in the jet and how that's affecting the autopilot. So like, I think VNAV path, like is a, you know, it's a Boeing thing, but I did a couple, I did my ATP and A320, which was very beneficial to me to start learning some of the automation because it's just something that I had never really done. Even when I flew the King Air 350, which has a lot of automation available, I would still hand fly everything just because it was more comfortable and it was easier for me to hand fly than it was to utilize the autopilot and let it do, do its thing. So that's definitely a challenge. And then not that all the civilian rules are different, but it's a whole new language, I would say, more or less for me to like learn and like, hey, like I know in the Air Force, I need 12 hours of crew rest to, prior to going flying. But now there's all sorts of these like weird world, you know, weird rules. You know, I, I flew a 16 hour sortie last month. Just something like it's so different, you know, so there's just so much to learn. 
Yeah, there's a lot to learn. It's uh, And automation's a funny thing because automation's one of those things that can get you in a lot of trouble if you don't understand it. And you're probably, when you first start, you're more going, you're probably more likely to hand fly more than uh, use the automation. And sometimes that's not good. Sometimes it's healthy to use automation. But then it's going to be really funny because you're going to find yourself in a spot where it's going to be the exact opposite where you finally get comfortable with that automation and you use it more often because you're like, well, why would I make my life more difficult? And then you're going to find yourself not feeling as comfortable to hand fly. I don't know if you've, you've found that yet or if you're if you're making sure that doesn't happen, but that definitely can sneak up on you where you're like, whoa, crap, I got to hand fly this ILS because I don't remember how to do that very well. Right. That's uh, So the one nice thing I like about the airline I'm at now is hand flying is highly encouraged. There are some countries... Uh, in the world where they want you to turn the automation on as soon as possible. And sometimes it makes sense, like very high dense traffic areas and you're dealing with foreign controllers. Like you need everyone just spending every brain bite they have trying to hear and understand what the controllers are saying, but um, hand flying it up to altitude and then yeah, doing a, again, it's kind of comical. I laugh, but I was like, yeah, just doing a hand flown ILS, like auto throttles off. Like, which that's like what I've always been used to, but doing that is really important to be it able is. to. You're like, wait, auto throttle. I love, I want the auto throttles on. I don't know how to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know to click that off. That's scary. But yeah, yeah. it's really important to, uh, to do it. And it was funny. Uh, one of my simulators again, like simulator, haha, but it, uh, it had a malfunction. It was like on my check ride. Again, like what happens on a check ride, like all the weird stuff. But I just ended up hand fly, like I was a V1, uh, cut like heavyweight, like 760,000 pounds and having to fly it all the way back around with no auto throttles. And it was like, we could have like quit, but again, it's a check ride. It's like, that could really happen in real life. So I don't know, be a champion, get it done. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know everything does happen on check. You're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. This sucks. Why? I said this would never happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, figure it out. Good luck. Yeah. We're all counting on you. Yeah. All right, John. Well, that's pretty much all I have for you other than the last section, which is the rapid fire questions. And it's Boom. just, it's not too many questions, not too hard. Uh, some of them are kind of airline based. So we'll see if you have anything for them. But main thing is make sure you say the first and the quickest answer you can possibly say. It's not something to kind of explain your answer. It's just to say what you got. Okay. All right. What is your overall favorite airplane? F-16. What is, do you have a favorite corporate airplane? Like a, I don't. like a Gulfstream or Global? A G5. I've never flown on one, but it seems like it'd be pretty sweet. What about, what's your favorite airliner? It doesn't have to be one that you've flown yourself. It could be one that you've always seen and you're like, man, I'd love to fly that. It honestly is the 777. So I'm really yeah. lucky to do that. Yeah. Dreams come true for you, huh? Yeah. How about that? <laughs> what's the ugliest airplane you have ever seen? A380. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. Yeah, what's I... something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Oh, uh, man. How to fly? That made, that made it a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Who is one person in the industry that you would like to meet most? They could be living or dead. Yeah, Robin Olds. Okay. What's your favorite thing about aviation? I think it's the community and the people. Hardest approach you've ever flown? I would say it's honestly ILS with uh, snow, crosswinds, and uh, a wet runway. Yeah, good point, good point. Favorite airport you've ever landed at? (laughs) Uh, man, these are like some good ones. Cause I don't really have that bit broad of a reach. Um, I'd say any airport because you know, then I don't have to worry about the gas that I don't have. <laughs> there you go. What's your least favorite airport you've ever had to land at? Paris. Uh, IFR or VFR? VFR. 
favorite airport food. So say like you're making a quick little connection or you're just going with the family. You got a, a choice of your great quality airport food. What are you going to? <laughs> it's probably like Chick-fil-A if I can find yes, one. Yes. Love it. That's my go-to. <laughs> would, you rather, would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city? Uh, the city. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline livery? Hmm. FedEx. <laughs> would you rather fly multiple <laughs> short trips, so like five legs in a day, or one very, very long flight? I think very, very long flight now that I've done it. Yeah. What's your worst experience with a captain or a first officer? Have you had a very bad experience with a captain or a first officer or passenger? No, not, not yet, but again, limited experience. <laughs> yeah, it'll come, huh? Yeah, for sure. What's the hardest check ride you've ever had? I had a F-16 check ride where I was fighting raptors in a large force exercise, which was pretty challenging. Fighting raptors, that sounds like a losing situation. Yep, it definitely was a losing situation. <laughs> Isn't it true where the raptor can shoot an F-16 from like 50 miles out without them even knowing that they're there? Or is that just kind of like a fable, like a, a myth? Oh no, for sure. I definitely have some fighting raptor stories. <laughs> we'll have to cavy back on so you can tell everyone. Yeah. It'll be raptor story talk with John. Yeah, yeah he just dies all the time. <laughs> yeah. Always dead. Yeah. What's the the biggest regret you have in your career? I honestly don't have any right now. Like, yeah, yeah, I've been really fortunate to be where I am today. What's the biggest win of your career? I think being getting a pilot slot in the Air Force because it's afforded me all this. Yeah. Uh, would you rather fly on a CRJ or an ERJ? You know, the really <laughs> tight connecting flights. Which one do you choose? I never choose any of them, but I'm always forced <laughs> to go fly on one of them. I know, right? I will say the uh, the Embraer 170 is probably my favorite plane to fly on as a, or 175, whichever version, as a passenger. Those seem to be the most comfortable for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you that. Yeah. If you are flying a uh, general aviation aircraft, are you going to choose Piper, Cessna, Diamond? Do you have a favorite? Cessna. All right. What is your favorite airline to ride on as a passenger? Mm. Probably Delta. Like it. Good job, man. You have survived. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And like I said earlier, thank you for your service. It was, uh, it's just amazing, man. I appreciate that. And thanks for coming on the podcast and just telling your story. And like I said, we're going to have to come have you back on just for some Raptor talk to talk yeah. about how many times you got <laughs> shot out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, John, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And that is a wrap of episode 103 of the Pod the Pilot Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on iTunes, message me on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot, or email me, Pilot the Pilot HQ at gmail.com. Even Asian, I hope you're staying safe, washing your hands, and just continue to know that we will get through this. This will end eventually, and we will hopefully get back to our amazing aviation career that we have, and everything will be back on track. So hang in there, everyone. I know it's tough right now, but hang in there. It's definitely going to be worth it in the long run. But Aviation, that's all I have for you right now. Other than that, it is happy flying and stay safe.